Welcome back to the Heartland Pod. It's Friday, September 8th. I am here, Adam Summer. I am joined by Rachel Parker. Rachel, how you doing on this fine Thursday afternoon? We're getting our recording session in. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I love a Friday flyover. Yeah. Um, I'm good. Uh, still still grappling with just crippling allergies. Can't can't believe it. Uh, still, I shouldn't be surprised after 50 whatever years of right. allergies. But um, yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. Like last year, my immune system finally realized where it lived. Right. <laughs> it was like, oh, this isn't Los Angeles, you guys. We're in St. Louis again, and just like that's it's been it's been like that ever since. But Mike, it's beautiful today. Yeah, it uh, is. It is. Uh, I, it's going to be gorgeous tomorrow. Um, uh, and it's and festival season has. Yeah, started. is it upon us? So, yes. So I'm All I'm festivals. probably gonna I'm gonna hit up I think the um the art fair the Schlafly art fair this weekend I think because very very uh, cool because there's beer and art. What's yeah. not to love about that? No, that's a that's a win all day long. Yeah, we uh, we're gonna take advantage of the weather. We'll be in Arrowhead Stadium tonight. So by the time you're listening to this, you'll know if I'm very happy or very sad. Either way, I'll be very tired. But it's very. Uh, but either way, I'm gonna say this to you now, Adam. It is either you, if you're very sad or very tired. Like it's still very early. Like you have all season to go. Like yeah, right. This, yeah, I don't. It would take. Far, it would take much longer than we have planned to record to to fully wrap you in as to why the sports fandom of this, uh, what it feels like. It's just, it's not a, it's insane. I mean, it's not rational. It's why I'm not a sports fan. Right, what you're describing. Yeah, I've had, I've had. It's brushes. wildly irrational. I've, I've had brushes with it. I did go to USC, which is a big football. Yeah, school. that is a real. That's um, a legitimate football. And school. I, and I did a whole season of. I did a whole football season my freshman year because <laughs> they were a good team. I was totally a, a fair weather fan. Um, and uh, I was there during the rise and fall of Todd Marinovich. If you know that story yeah, at all, yeah, I remember that? Yeah. I knew him. Like I met him a few times. Anyway, uh, and so like I got the, I got the. I, I understood it finally and i was right. like this sucks when they lose i don't want to have any i've already <laughs> disappointed fun, enough yeah. i'm already i spent enough of my life being gravely disappointed with a lot of things <laughs> that i don't need to add to the pile and i could just be glad yeah you know what i mean like i could just be happy at some point so well we'll, we'll see it should be enjoyable but yeah it's a beautiful beautiful day i got to work from home today and hang out with the uh, with jane one-on-one some which is a lot of fun, uh, just a ton of fun. So we've got our little Uncle Sam that we roll out for Fourth of July, and she drug him out of the garage <laughs> and was like dragging him all over the place. It's like this little plastic uh, vintage uh, decoration, and uh, it's about it's about three foot tall or whatever. And uh, she stopped finally, and she goes, "Dad, who who this? What his name?" And uh, I said, uh, "That's Uncle Sam." And she goes, "Oh, I don't like him." He too spooky. <laughs> so yeah, there okay, you go. I have, a, I have a question, not to, to go too far down, because I find Jane. I I, lo- I mean, I I love all your children, obviously, but like, uh, like Ben is exactly the kind of precocious you'd expect from right. Adam Summer's son, right? And Amanda Summer's son, um, talkative, inquisitive, bright-eyed, highly social. Um, Jane is like uh, a flamethrower in a child's skin suit. Yes. Um, Yes. But also one who's very, very, very adept at speaking in full sentences yeah. and can have conversations with you. It's not like she goes, yeah, no, she doesn't speak 
no. monosyllabically. Yeah. She speaks in like, I'd rather not just now. Thank you. Like mm-hmm. she speaks in these. So do you think her tantrums are less volatile because she's able to articulate what she Oh no, no. No, 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 no. Not at all. No, her tantrums resemble um well really Republican politicians. That's the best way to to summarize it. And the the kind of tantrum that I'm sure many of them are throwing at the the information that we're talking about in the lead story here, which is uh yeah might have been my best transition of all time that's a good one one. (laughs) yeah so this npr story new state abortion numbers show increases in some surprising places uh basically it's a tracking of uh estimated changes these are not necessarily 100 percent tracked because obviously that's pretty hard data to get um but estimated changes in states since uh 2020 to 2023 so it shows a, a graphic and, you know, breaks down each state. And it's, it's very, very fascinating. The link is in the show notes. Always, if we talk about an article, the link is in the show notes. You can you can check the article out yourself. Um, Rachel, you dropped this in. Um, can you unpack, you know, what, what, what was it about this that made you say, hey, this is what we should be talking about? Well, so the first thing is, is that, so there's a, 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 a research uh, firm called the, I don't know if it's, if it's Gut Mosher or Gut Maker, um, G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R mm-hmm. Institute. Um, and it's a research and policy group that supports reproductive rights. So they re- they released this report um, yesterday. And so today it's on all of the major news outlets. It was the subject of the New York Times newsletter this morning. Um, I saw Talking Points memo cover it. Um, and I've seen and, and then I, I just kind of went out on the on the interwebs and used my um, my sleuthy skills and, and used the keyword term uh, Gutmaker Institute uh, research abortion and um, saw that it's been tracked by, you know, kind of all of the major news outlets in the country. Yeah. And um, they all kind of interested interesting. One thing I want to point out is that like the headlines vary quite a bit. Like the talking points memo piece was like uh, the war on abortion results in states being overwhelmed basically like that was their that was their hot you know they 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 benefit from fiery headlines and stuff but i don't think that's incorrect i think that's that's an accurate representation of the data and um yeah i mean this line here about you know illinois had uh, 18,300 more abortions in the first half of 2023 than in the entirety of 2020 yeah i don't know how else you can say that now i would say that that is um not like this is this is kind of I'm not going to be a, a, I don't want to be too much of a jerk about this. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to trample on the good people at Morning Edition. Um, but new state abortion numbers show increases in some surprising places. Su- surprising I, to whom? To whom? Yeah. Who's surprised? <laughs> increases in places where abortion's still available. Next to states where it isn't. Not a surprise. Right. But right. so in addition to Illinois, of course, I wanted to go down and look at um, Kansas. So Illinois net uh percent change is 69 percent right between 20 and kansas is 114 percent right illinois which shares a border with indiana kentucky missouri iowa and wisconsin but who could have seen that coming i'm so surprised Uh, Um, it's it's shocking the (laughs) the uh and I guess like it maybe it is surprising if you don't pay attention to how the country works ever. I don't know. I I still don't understand how. The, I still don't get like how this is still such a mystery to people who don't live in parts of the country where most people are located. 
I think it's right? a good We're example n- of like why we started doing a Friday show that uh, we called the flyover, right? This is like, <laughs> this is exactly why. A hundred percent. So the so this map, which is kind of presented in these like honeycomb shapes uh, that have lovely JavaScript that allow you to scroll over them in this NPR story. Love, this is like my favorite online map. Like the, uh, the election maps that are like this. This is by far my favorite type. Yeah, of map. it's that's a be- super it's, nerdy thing to care it's, about. But it's the best, and they did a really beautiful job. So. Um, what I found the most alarming is so on the key, it shows that there are states, there's kind of different colors that represent how many abortions they had between 2020 versus 2023. So, um, so in other words, like the entirety of 2020, like you said, versus the first six months of 2023. And so there's, you know, a range and then there's states that are grayed out because they don't provide any data because abortion's illegal. And what, is pretty striking when you look at it is that is most of the states right like so the states that are gray on this map are north dakota wisconsin idaho south dakota maine vermont new hampshire Mm -hmm. mass uh rhode island connecticut delaware alabama mississippi louisiana oklahoma texas arkansas tennessee missouri kentucky and west virginia yeah Excuse me, I should say, excuse me, the some of the states that I, I should say that the Northeast, it's legal. They just have had a very slight uptick in abortion access. Yeah, um, you could you could kind of break the map down into three, like, like East, Central, yeah, and yeah. West. And, like, in the yeah. central part of the map, it's Illinois. And Kansas. And Kansas, yeah. 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 And, and that's yeah. really it. And then, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's 14 states where it's just straight up illegal. And yeah. then you've got decreases like Georgia had a huge decrease, Arizona, huge decrease, Indiana, huge decrease. Um, yeah, I mean, it's predictably right. New York, Illinois and California are the are the biggest increases. And then New Mexico and the the only one that surprised me is North Carolina and Florida went up, which is interesting. Um, I'm sure somebody's going to hit DeSantis on that. Probably so. Abortion literally um, went up on his watch in Florida. Probably Mike Pence because he doesn't know what else to talk about anymore. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I I just thought that this was really worth bringing to everybody's attention because this is the first time we have hard numbers from anyone on yeah. how uh, gutting Roe is impacting the flyover. And, you know, the truth is we don't, like you said, we don't really know. We're kind of... Right. This We're this does of, use estimations. It's kind of like a census data kind of thing. Like, right. There are and, some hard numbers, but not everything is based. And on the that. other thing we don't know, and one of the other reasons that it's difficult to track this is because how does this, what is the, we don't know how many people elect to uh, use medical abortion. So, right. you know, do they get. This also so, doesn't tell us people who are self treating for lack of a better term um, right and you would hope that that would mean in this in 2023 that they would get access to um medication either by mail or by support groups or sure, whatever you, you would hope that. um and also it doesn't say how many people are carrying children to term that don't want to be parents yet right or don't want to be parents now i should say either because they're uh, yeah, like, i'd minors. like to see the same map with adoptions um and adoption rates yeah, or foster or spikes in foster, foster care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, already overwhelmed the, systems and uh, and uh, increases of uh, childhood poverty and childhood hunger. Um, right, and, and that and you will see increases in childhood poverty, hunger, abuse. By the way, neglect charges. Those are it's all going to go up. All of it's yeah. going to go up. One hundred percent. I mean, take, it's just and it will, and it will take. You know, it will take a meaningful amount of time for those statistics to be 
sort of non-correlative to be right. verifiable. Right. Um, so we may not know until like five or 10 years yeah, out. Exactly. And it depends also on how quickly some of these states like Missouri are able to um, change the laws of our state such that pregnant persons, especially now that, I mean, imagine, I, I like all this is just so horrifying to me, but, um, you know, we're now a state where you can't get an abortion or, and if you're a minor, you can't get access to uh, hormone therapy if you're mm -hmm. a trans minor. You can um, still get married. You can still get married, though. Yeah. Um. So, all of that swirl. Um. Maybe that's the, maybe this is an allergies. Maybe this is just I just have a headache. Yeah. You can um, be raped, be forced to carry a baby to term, and marry your rapist. Um. In Missouri, so you know, correct. There is correct. some some freedom correct. left. And I'm gonna say again. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be the person that stumps for this issue. Stop saying exceptions for rape and incest, everybody. Right. It's just rape. It's just rape. It's and rape. also stop saying underaged girls. Right. They're just girls. They're girls. They're just girls. Um, you can say reproductively viable girls if you want. Right. You can right. say that because some girls are reproductively viable. Others are not. Um, if uh, you can say, uh, you know, something like physically, more physically, you know, post-adolescent girls or something like that to indicate what part of the spectrum they might be on in terms of their sexual activity and things like that. But you may not use the term underage girls anymore. So when I see terms in publications like the Washington Post and people that should know better saying when underage girls can't get access to abortion due to rape right. or incest, I'm like, they're just girls and they're just raped. Okay. Yeah. Another good word is children. Children's fine. Children, children, that's what children they are. is their children uh, and um, they don't uh, have the right rights uh, throughout large swaths in the Midwest. And, uh, so, yeah, so we encourage people to uh, to look at this pretty bleak data. And I will say, too, like what this really means is that medical providers in Illinois and medical providers in Kansas are being are getting the burden of the healthcare that people should be able to get in neighboring states. Yeah. And I bet you they're not going to get any of the neighboring money. Right? Like no one in Missouri is going to write Illinois a check for the uh abortion care that um pregnant people are getting uh in Illinois if they need to terminate a pregnancy. So it pu it puts uh an undue burden on people who live in those communities. Um it is it is some hot bullshit, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think that, like I've said before, if you don't yet understand that this is one of the, if not the, defining issue for the 2024 election, then um, I guess you are finding all this to be a bit surprising, right? In places. Right. Yeah, because this is just going to keep keep rocking constantly. So a hundred percent, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to some uh, shorter shorter stories, some stuff that uh, caught our eye here, and uh, I will I'll kick it off with this one out of the Missouri Independent. This is a Rudy Keller piece, so it's uh, long, detailed, and very well written. Um, and basically, it is about the Missouri uh, Democrat presidential primary and and what's going to happen. Uh, goes into detail based on an interview from Russ Carnahan, who's the chairman of the Missouri Democratic Party, uh, about what's going to be happening. So the party is looking for comment on a plan, and I'm going to read 
I'm going to read this right out of uh, the article because I don't, I don't think I can explain it better. Um, so the plan as it would, would happen is to cast a vote in the primary, Democratic voters will have to ask for the party for a ballot that will be returned by mail for tabulation. The plan calls for the party to have at least one in-person voting location open four hours for the number four on March 23rd with extra polling locations in the St. Louis and Kansas City metropolitan areas. So if you recall in past Missouri presidential primaries, you went and voted just like, you know, every other day that you voted. You went to your polling location and you told them which party ballot you wanted to pull because it's an open open primary. And then you voted in the primary. This eliminates that and it takes away the open primary system, uh, which I think is stupid. I love the open primary system. I think it's great. But um, it takes that away and it puts an extra burden on everybody to have to be involved, basically. Like you have to not just know it's time to vote. You've got to know how to vote and you've got to know this tiny little window on this this one day just but this is just for the presidential primary just for the presidential primary so the other price for the statewide primaries doesn't change anything else yeah it's just the presidential primary and i believe that's because the missouri state legislature voted to eliminate the primary in missouri Yes, and this is a state law change by Republicans yeah. because they don't like the so, open primary system right, because right. they know that Democrats know how to read. And so we show up and vote for shitty candidates in the primary for the right. Republicans. Um, so you can still so, you know, I think that this is going to have so th- this they're also going to have an open primary on the Republican ballot, too. Is that correct? Or yeah. is that going to. OK, so what I think this is really interesting. And so it could also be there's a they're also going to they're accepting comment now on whether it can be ranked choice or um or approval uh on the ballot itself and what i think is really interesting but so it's not really a a catastrophic issue for the democratic presidential primary in missouri no not necessarily yeah um because we there's only it's not there there isn't one there isn't one and you know the, the the party itself could also decide um potentially to uh you know do something else in the future because you know they don't have to use this they they do have to you do have to be old enough to vote and you do have to be a registered voter right but you can and i think they're also allowing people who are 17 to vote in the primary if you're a democrat if you're going to be of age to vote in the general right. election so i think yeah. that's really interesting yeah um and i i'm a big fan of anything that points out to people that party primaries are not the same as constitutionally mandated elections. Yeah. They're two yeah. separate things. They are so two separate things. I think that is, a, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, but I think yeah, it's that just very interesting. It is. No, totally. And I do th- like, I think Sean's comment when we talked about this a while back was, it means that Missouri is going to matter less than it already does to both parties. I think that's that correct. was like his, um, but I think what this leaves room for on the Republican side is for Trump to get less delegates from Missouri. Because right. if you're a Republican and you register for a Republican ballot, you might like Mike Pence just fine if you're a conservative Missouri voter. Mike, right. Mike Pence ticks a lot of boxes for conservative Missouri voters. That That's Trump, right. He doesn't have the... He's like, he's like all of the... Uh, He's like all of the nutrition of a, of a Trump candidacy without any of the calories. So, um, <laughs> barring that from Scott Galloway. So, uh, not directly, but he uses that terminology a lot. And I like it for this one. So I think like, 
for us, like whatever. I mean, Joe Biden's the nominee, so it's not it's right. not the end of the world. But I think on the Republican side, they have done themselves a massive disservice because we still get to have an open primary system for Senate, for governor. For So let's say that in 2024, when we're voting in the primary for all those other offices, um, there isn't a challenger for Crystal Quaid's, uh, for the governor, for the Democratic spot. Yeah, there technically just, is, but nothing that matters. Right. So so let's assume that Crystal Quaid is the shoe-in for the Democratic nominee. And let's assume that, for example... Uh, Corey Bush doesn't have any challengers in the first that she's the or that that she's going to have a runaway. So I might pull a Republican ballot. Right. Because I can. Right. Right. Because I can I can vote for the you know, for for somebody who either I find less disgusting than whoever the hell's going to be running on the Republican ticket for Senate right. um, or attorney general or anything. Because, again, if it, if the if our ticket looks like um I, I guess maybe Senate would be kind of interesting, but let's just to say that at this point it's Lucas Kuntz, Crystal Quaid, Elad Gross, whatever. Um, right. I might go. You're good. Yeah, I'm Richard, good. I don't... Richard White for lieutenant governor, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So we might. I might just go. That's fine. I'm, they don't need me right now. Um, and I, I can still pull a Republican ballot, and I can still vote for a Senate candidate. I can still vote for a gubernatorial candidate. I can still right. vote for like all those other people. So I don't think they've done themselves the favor that they think they've done. I think what they've basically guaranteed is that Donald Trump isn't going to come anywhere near the state in 2024. That's a, that's probably a pretty good point. What, uh, what caught your eye? Uh, so speaking of um, Senate races, uh, it wasn't quite as good as a, as an Adam summer because it was, it wasn't as tough of a transition. Wasn't, <laughs> I didn't have to make like the gigantic land grab between two-year-olds and it's like you got uh, you got a 10 on the landing but like the difficulty of the trick it's like you yeah know, you're totally the like skating oh, look, and they're like mm, yeah that was a toe loop not a lot so she, yeah she, <laughs> <laughs> totally, that's right that's right she nailed it but it wasn't and yes i speak figure skating you do you do um uh so gloria johnson who was one of the uh tennessee three uh, if you recall, we've talked about them a lot. She was one of the three members who was uh, she was the only one who wasn't expelled from the from the yep. uh, Tennessee State House. About three weeks uh, ago, did a great interview with Jess Piper on Dirt yeah, Road. Yeah, yeah. I shouted Jess out in our Slack. I hope she can listen to this and hear it. I thought she did just a, a phenomenal job. It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, yeah, this is why I do this is for this. This was the dream was to hear someone like Jess Piper talk to someone like Gloria Johnson. Exactly. And for and for many people to hear it um and know what's happening so go back check that out so her um her campaign is official she's uh, officially announced that she is going to challenge uh senator marcia blackburn to become uh the democratic senator from the great state of tennessee i'm here for it um i do not i do not like marcia blackburn that's probably not a big shocker marcia blackburn is not anything uh unusual in the modern republican party anymore um but she is uh she certainly helped uh purdue out quite a bit if you know anything about the history of the fda she helped pass um an obama era rule that basically dismantled the wall but the firewall between uh pharmaceutical lobbyists the yep. fda and um pharmaceutical professionals um so uh she can kiss off for that and she uh she's a big Donald Trump supporter. Um I don't think that she was one of the people that tried to object to the election results 
Um, but she certainly uh, was his ally um, while. He yeah, I think in. her hair did try to object to the election results. <laughs> <laughs> she does have some serious horror. She's got um, the hair. We're, we, we're rewatching uh, Schitt's Creek right now. And yeah. uh, she's got the hair from the episode in season one when Moira goes to this, the local salon and they they do the blowout on her wig. And <laughs> yes. And she's like, what is she? Do? Yes. Yes. Marsha Blackburn's hair would have a name. Yeah, if it were on Schitt's Creek, um, uh, so I don't, I don't like her. She's nothing if not ridiculously pro-life and a bunch yeah. of other things that you would expect. But mostly, she's just very pro-corporate, yes, and very anti-worker, and very anti-immigrant, and very anti, very pro-fossil fuel. She's yeah, never she's met that woman. Also, has... kind of like a shitty person. She's a super <laughs> shitty person. <laughs> she's a super shitty person. I think I mentioned this before, but I was listening to Will Hurd on um uh I think I think he was on Pivot or Pivot, he was on, yeah. I don't know. It was yeah. Anyway, he was saying something about like as introduced by my homegirl Marsha Blackburn, and I was like, I'm gonna right. stop listening now. Congratulations on disqualifying off. yourself from the conversation, sir. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so basically like what you want is you want this the grand old party to uh to go back to the thing that all the trump voters hated i right. don't think that's really gonna work so no. i don't know i mean i would i would love to um we've had we've spoken to uh miss johnson on our podcast she's welcome to come back anytime but i would love to um talk to some other on the ground folks in tennessee about what they think this mashup can look like because from she's not quite i don't think that she's quite as odious to tennessee republicans as josh howley is to missouri republicans at this point but i don't know maybe maybe she is maybe the the trump schisms um have led to her being labeled a rhino or something and there's less that i know about so um if anybody knows anybody who knows anybody uh who can give us some insight on uh on this tennessee uh you know whatever it's two women that's kind of interesting i guess for a change um yeah whatever i mean uh that's that's not always yeah. my favorite Welcome thing to 2023 like, yeah so there you go um but other than that and that utterly useless insight if there's other people that would like to come on who know kind of the ground uh yeah. and how it's playing out in tennessee you're welcome on the pod anytime uh switching gears to kansas uh just wanted to highlight this one again uh this caught my eye because it's 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 continuing as a story it should continue as a story we need to have I think full resolution here uh, from the Kansas reflector. This is an opinion piece by clay wirestone. Uh, and the, the headline is transparency demands that Marion County attorney explain his role in chilling newspaper raid. Uh, I'm sure folks listening to this recall the Marion County, Kansas newspaper raid. If not just briefly uh, some uh, allegations were made uh, about identity theft. Uh, warrants were issued to uh raid and seize uh, the home of a publisher and the newspaper, a, a very small local newspaper. And the next day, the publisher's mother, who used to be the person who ran the newspaper, uh, this is a fam small family newspaper, uh, she passed away. Uh, and basically from the shock of uh, police raiding her home and, and taking her things. So uh, this this piece is about that. I think it's a smart piece. Uh, it's, on, again, on the Kansas Reflector. Uh, the link is in the show notes. It also does have links to the affidavits that were filed in the case. Um, and this is what, you know, when we talked about this originally, this was what I was pounding the table on, which is like, you know, totally. it's, it's not just that the judge should have said, no, it's not that the, no, the, the attorney, the, the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney's office 
that's the point of contact where the police come and they like it's a box theory thing okay it's really really simple the police collect information they do the work they do the investigation they give that information to the prosecuting attorney's office who makes a decision based on the facts and the law because they are the expert in the application of the law to the facts which then goes to the judge to decide if it's correct or not and so we had three it's like levels the, it's like the it. only thing that's accurate about a law and order episode right 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 it's actually the best thing that they do in those episodes is that they split it up and it's like all right we're done with our investigation we're done smacking heads and getting punks you know tell us what's going on <laughs> i miss lenny so much that was like the best tv character of I all miss, time i miss jerry orbach and yes. like what a what a mensch man <laughs> so anyway there's a application for search warrant you can read them all um I think the whole thing is really, really bad. Not just the fact that it happened. I think that's, I mean, that's like, to me, a, is anathema to the basic uh, understanding of the First Amendment and the foundation of the country. Um, the fact that somebody died, I mean, it's all, it's just, it's horrible. Um, but on top of that, I think that the whole thing stinks. I think that this attorney has some serious ethical issues in front of them. I hope that they are being investigated on that front. I hope that it is a problem for them because this is a self-policing profession as an attorney. And and so it is up to you to meet the ethical standards. And when you don't, you should be held accountable. And I hope that this uh, district attorney is held accountable. I hope the judge is held accountable. I hope the officers involved are held accountable. And I hope that it is that it is hard on these people going forward. And you had mentioned something about the mayor's race. In, yeah. In so one thing I I don't have a story in front of me, but I heard that the um, one of the journalists was trying to hold onto her cell phone. Yeah. And uh, one of the police officers like basically into a tussle with her to rip her phone out of her hand and she was injured so she's suing the police department so all this stuff ends up costing this tiny town money i mean this yep. is going to cost them a lot of money um i'm sure they're probably going to settle but um there was a kansas city star article uh that came out a few days ago um marion's likely next mayor wants to fix town's reputation so it's a pretty good interview um with uh a, a reasonably respectable person his name is um michael powers and he's just talking about um you know kind of what he sees as sort of the that there were all these grudges that were kind of getting settled probably through this um yeah this, this, this whole thing looks like um like it looks like a a coen brothers movie like it, totally yeah yeah <laughs> that's what it, it reminds me of only only in the coen brothers movie the law enforcement people are like really sweet and ethical and francis mcdormand and right. these shitty people are car dealers this is right. like the opposite <laughs> right. um uh, so he said something about um that uh there's a sizable number of people in the community who feel like the paper is unfair in its coverage um and uh that was i think the outgoing mayor Anyway, it's worth reading because it, you know, we are going through this era where Donald Trump has galvanized hatred of the journalism profession right. in general. And, 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 you know, there's an old saying, the first thing to die in war is the truth and, and nothing is more emblematic of truth and consequences, consequences in journalism. And speaking of law and order, like television has done us no favors. Like when you watch these kind of, you know, lauded cop shows that have been on right. forever. Like the enemy of them is always like, oh, damn it, the media is here. You know, and that's kind of mm -hmm. how they paint it. Like, get them, out, get them out of here. You know, like, no, they're supposed to be doing the work of holding people 
people to account and you know focusing on the truth and the truth is supposed to just be this this thing that exists without question right and impunity right. so um i would encourage people to read it and i would encourage people to kind of continue this conversation that we've been having this is kind of what i focused on last week about you know if you still want to live in a smaller community those smaller communities need to have the same requirements of transparency yeah. and um effective oversight that larger cities do because the corruption in smaller communities is often more devastating even if the the numbers on paper don't look as dramatic yeah. as they do in some of these other kind of like big fbi stings that happen in places yeah. like st louis it's real simple raise your hand just raise your hand people are going to disagree with you some people are going to look at you weird some people are going to say that they don't like you anymore okay raise your hand and 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 be be part of it be counted i live in a small enough community i understand i get it i i can understand that um i'm a public facing person who puts their public opinions their political opinions out on airwaves on youtube on twitter um yeah, some people don't like it, and I really don't care uh, about that. And because I'm going to keep raising my hand and speaking up, uh, which is uh, what brings me to the last story that we have. Which uh, this is a person who rose, put his hand up, and continues to speak. Uh, Brian Kirk. He is a pastor at First Christian Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. He also was a member of the St. Joseph Library Board uh, in Missouri. Uh, library board positions are appointed. By the county commission, which means that the county commission of this particular county, which is highly likely to have been Republicans, by the way, selected this person to be on the board. He has already served on the board, and now a, a pastor from Grace Calvary Chapel, uh, who is uh, based on this picture, he's uh, he's a proud boy. He's got the 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 beard, hair, cool guy, untucked shirt thing going on. Uh, you know, he's a thirty something. And uh, yeah, so basically they're trying to take uh, this pastor off of the board uh, because he is gay and because they're trying to blame him for a bunch of stuff that A, wasn't bad, and B, happened before he was even on the board. Um, and so it's a really compelling uh, story, and Jess Piper had an interview with Brian on the Dirt Road Democrats, so if you're not listening to that show, it's on its own channel. Uh, search for Dirt Road Democrat, where if you, wherever you are listening to this, you can listen to Dirt Road Democrat. It's just on its own channel now so that uh, Jess can uh, do her thing over there. So make sure you check it out and subscribe to that so you get her new episodes every Thursday and get her interview with Brian Kirk because it's a, it's a big deal. And uh, it's not an isolated incident. It's a microcosm. It's an example. And, and that's why it needs to be lifted up and people need to understand that this is happening in more places than just this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank him for coming forward. And I'm sure it's like we were just saying, like when you're, you know, it's one thing for me to be where it's kind of a contrast. It's one thing for me to be kind of like loud and liberal and progressive and right. curse a lot and have a David Bowie tattoo and like live the life I've lived. I lived in Los Angeles most of my adult life. Like, oh, you're so courageous. Like, I don't think of myself as being like one of these like quote unquote brave women at all. I think of myself as being of a peer group, right? right like right, I, I'm, right. I'm in good company. But um you know, for someone who lives in a small community to risk the kind of isolation that happens when you are, first of all, out and gay and a pastor in a small, right. smaller Missouri community. I wouldn't say St. Joe's the smallest. Missouri, no, no, it, it's very similar to where I live. It's not yeah, tiny yeah. by any means, but it's small in small, the sense of yes. everybody kind of knows what's going yeah, on. Yeah, totally, totally. But, um, you know, I 
I, the other thing I would say, uh, aside from, you know, thanking him for his, um, just being who he is, is if you are in a smaller community, this is, and this can be a workplace. It can be your family. It can be your town. It can be whatever. If there's someone who is the loud voice in the room, that's telling the truth. If you don't have the courage to be that person, which nobody should blame you for. Yeah, that's okay. Be the, be the person who will support that person. Yeah, it's okay because to stand it, up second. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. yeah, that, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. You don't have to in stand fact, up first. In fact, you will be greeted warmly by that person. Yes. And then other people will be like, oh, thank God I can finally say something now, too, because now yeah. two people have stood up. And so, and it's, there's nothing wrong with being third. Or no, fourth. and I the think people thing... will be shocked when they start standing up and putting their hand up in those situations. Absolutely. How much agreement they will find. Um, it's just that people, if the fear and uncertainty is a major driver in decision-making for people, it always has been, it always will be. And the more fear you have and the more uncertainty you have in the outcome and uncertainty itself is fear, right? So if you just don't know, I don't know if it's going to go well or not, you, you're more likely than not, not going to do it. So, you know, you have to sort of jump over that hurdle, that uncertainty hurdle of will it go bad or will it won't go bad and kind of go, okay, I don't know what the result is, but I'm going to live with what the result is and I, because yeah. the thing is more important than the result. And I think the best way to always navigate your convers- way around these conversations that you're having with people, or even if you're trying to make sort of your own sort of moral decision is to say, okay, what would history say? Yeah. That's a good place. What's to history put it. going to say, right? Cause history is going to have an opinion. Yeah. So if if you just navigate your way to always be on the right side of history, you're probably going to end up most of the time making the best possible decisions you can in even the most difficult situations. So, um, yeah, very yeah. well said. Speaking of history, this show history, we're done. <laughs> and uh, I'm just in transition mode today. I'll tell you. You what. are. You like, are. You have a lot on your mind. I can see you're going. like, we got to go. We got to do. We got to go. We got to do. <laughs> gotta I'm going to um, I'm going to go to the grocery store. You do that. Uh, And everybody else, enjoy your weekend. Happy Friday. And uh, we'll see y'all Monday morning with a fresh episode talking politics. Peace. Heartland Pod is a production of MidMap Media LLC. Producers Adam Summer, Rachel Parker, and Sean Diller. Outro song by American Aquarium, written by BJ Barnum, called The World is on Fire. Learn more about the Heartland Pod at heartlandpod.com. Learn more about American Aquarium at americanaquarium.com. That's when I saw a tear fall from her eyes She said, what are we gonna do? What's this world coming to? For the first time in my whole life I stood there speechless Can't give up We must
become the home of the afraid Afraid of the world, afraid of the truth Afraid of each other This ain't the country my grandfather fought for But I still see the hate he fought against Give rest to the tired Give mercy to the poor Give warmth to the huddled masses And I'll show you Be 